Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just say that with me. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Okay, some context. Now, this is the part of the message where I regularly stray far and wide. Please don't let me tonight. I'll try to stay focused here. If you sense I'm straying from the point, I want you to help me by saying something like, where are you going? Or, but how will you know that I'm staring from the point? That's uh, But if I am, I want you to say something like, where are you going? Or, that's not the point. Or, I want, or you could say this, wandering. Okay. And now, if you say something like that, uh, I may be annoyed for a moment that you caught me in it, and I may give you... A, 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 you know, a glare that says that, um, but you can rest in the knowledge that you've been faithful to God, okay? That you've held me to account, even if we're no longer friends. Um, in the first, okay, it's already happening. Somebody should have just said, wandering. Okay, just try it one time. Let me hear it. That would be a good thing for our church to have. Then a guest speaker comes. <laughs> Jojo Ruba comes on the third, and it's kind of like, wandering. <laughs> In the first 14 chapters of Corinthians, Paul covers a lot, okay? Um, the supremacy of the cross and the preaching of Christ on the cross, division in the church and the centrality of Jesus and unity in the church, sexual immorality in the church and chastity in the church, marriage and divorce. Uh, there's a lengthy section on setting an example uh, and it's specifically related to idolatry. Uh, and then there's a lengthy section on the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. He covers a lot in this book. And it's a relevant book for us because it was written to Corinth, which was uh, a very worldly, wealthy, and immoral city. And I kind of feel like, hey, we can relate to that. We, we live in that kind of a, a, metro, a metropolis. So 
uh, he speaks about all these kind of themes. All of them are really important. All of them are relevant. They were relevant for them and they're relevant to us. But then he begins chapter 15, not this section we read, but uh, verses 1 to 4, uh, and says this. After all these things that he's laid out, then he says, Now I make known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. I like this. He says, there's all of these important themes. And then he says, now I make known to you, and I made known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel, not Like sometimes we call the gospel anything to do with the Bible or anything to do with the kingdom of God. But there is also the gospel, that nutshell message of salvation. And that's what he says, I made known to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received. You heard it, you received it. In which also you stand, that's what you're standing in, by which also you are saved. Okay, he... he, He's saying, this is, the, this is really vital. Nolan, could you turn me down just a shade? I feel like I could, I'm maybe a little bit strong here. Um, if you, and then he says, if you hold fast the word which I preached. Thank you. If, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Then he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also, what I also received. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Okay? He's, he's summarizing the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to say how Jesus revealed himself to Peter and uh, the other disciples and finally to him. But he says this simple thing. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the nutshell gospel that they received, that they heard, they received, they're standing in, and that they, um, uh, they, they are saved by if they hold it fast, if they cling to it. So he lays this out for them. Now, like the Corinthian disciples... We can hear and be nourished by, spiritually by any number of themes. And let's face it, we're in a generation like no other. I mean, you know, there have been books for years. And some people in some cultures have had access to books. Some have had access to film or to, um, uh, well, years ago, cassette tapes and CDs and now MP3s. And now, honestly... We can hear the, the people preaching around the world, literally in real time. Like uh, all of the heavyweights, you go back a hundred years and there were the same kind of people that were, you know, these ones that were leaders of leaders and that kind of thing. But, you know, most people never heard anything by them until maybe after they were dead and their sermons got um, you know written down and put out in book form but we live in this unprecedented generation where we can be fed and nourished all kinds of things about every kind of theme relevant 
But the Holy Spirit is going to regularly bring us back to the basic essentials of the gospel. We, we never will stray from Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and raised the third day, according to the scriptures. That nutshell gospel that is our salvation that we cling to. We can't ever just, oh, I've kind of advanced beyond it. No, if you've advanced beyond it, you've advanced into something else. We never get past it. I recently heard something, Rose read it to me actually, by a a very talented brother in the Lord who wrote something about the new Christianity. And I thought, oh my goodness gracious, the new Christianity. No, no, no. Like there's new ways that we communicate to the world. That's why in every generation people write theology books because there's a new way of viewing how to communicate to a generation and a culture. But a new Christianity, uh uh-uh. If we go there, we have just strayed off wandering. We've strayed off the path. It's like there is no new one. There is Jesus died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried Raised again according to the scriptures. There is no new Christianity. And the Holy Spirit's going to bring us back to the basic essentials. Or to the essence of the gospel. The saving revelation. The saving disclosure of God's Son, Jesus Christ, to us. That simple proclamation of Jesus Christ. Now it's good to ask ourselves regularly when we're doing something or feeding ourselves on something, what does this have to do with Jesus? That's a good thing to ask ourselves. In fact, it's a good thing to ask one another. Sometimes, what we're now doing, what does this have to do with Jesus? We could, we could get off into all kinds of programs and to say, hold it, hold it. What does this have to do with Jesus and with the gospel, the gospel of salvation? We can ask this of one another in a, in a way, that's what Paul's doing here. He's, he, he's said all of these themes because some of them the Corinthian church really needed. They had some areas of imbalance and some things that had to be adjusted. But then in the end of all of it, Paul brings them back. Hey, they're doing some foolish things with the gifts of the Spirit, how they're operating, and things with communion where people are, you know, they're... They're, they're having these, what they called, love feasts. And they're, they're doing some, some of it was foolishness. And he, he's, he, he addresses it, addresses it. And then he brings them back. There is the gospel. This is what unifies us. This is what saves us. This is what we need. And he says, I preached it. You stand in it. You are saved by it if you hold it fast. All of it according to the scriptures. Don't stray from this reality. Christ died for our sins. Christ buried and raised according to the scriptures. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. Amen? Amen? Just say, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. So that sometimes when somebody asks you about the gospel, remember, oh, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Now, there might be a way that you need to present it, but that 
That needs to be part of the picture. That needs to be the central part of the picture. Now, the gospel is not just something we see from afar and we make a mental assent to. It's something that we participate in. We respond to it and we identify with what Jesus did for us and then we experience the benefit of it. And that's where Paul goes now at the end of chapter 15. He says, he teaches... We'll need a different body for God's eternal kingdom because our flesh and blood body isn't suitable for life there. It's not going to... This flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God or isn't suitable. I need a new body. Amen? Okay, now there's a confession. Just say, I need a new body. For life in the kingdom. Oh, wait till you see mine. Oh, gosh. Hair everywhere. Muscles. <laughs> That's wandering. Yeah, thank you. Okay. All right. Wandering. Yeah, thank you for... This body is perishable. This body is mortal. This, this one is subject to death. That's, that's what mortal is. You know that word, mort. When you see the word mort before something, it has to do with death. Uh, um, mortal means subject to death. Uh, mortuary, they're dealing with dead people. Mortify, when someone says, I was mortified, it means it was, there was death to me. Now, it's, that's always an exaggeration. Um, a mortician, somebody who's dealing with Dead people. A mortgage, actually the word, it, it has to do with a, a, uh, a loan that at some point, the idea is that you'll pay it off and the loan will be dead. Actually, I think it's that I'm going to be paying it till, till I'm dead. That's a mortgage. But mort, that word, he says this mortal must put on immortality. And perishable means The same thing here as it does when we speak about foods in our fridge. Oh, this is perishable. You buy some certain things and it's like you don't take a salmon and put it in the bin for the food bank. Why? Because it's really perishable. Within a day, the thing's going to stink. They don't take that. They want something that's imperishable, something that'll last. And that word actually just means the same thing as with food that perishes. It means it will spoil it will corrupt. It means, it's, it's used actually in other places. The, the word um, perishable is used destruction. Something that will destroy. It will fall apart. It will spoil. Now Paul says, we won't all die because most of the people who believed in Christ, generations have died uh, believing in Christ and they didn't see the end. They've died. He says, we won't all die, but we'll all be changed when the final trumpet sounds to announce the transition from this world to the next. The the mind-blowing and glorious thing about this, he says, not all of us will die, but we'll all be changed. We'll all undergo this transition to, we'll put on the imperishable. We'll put on the immortal. We won't have this body. Now, 
it's possible, and I think even likely, that we're that generation that will see the coming of the Lord. I, I, I don't know if that's something that maybe for some is terrifying. But for believers, uh, what a, what a mind-blowing thing to be alive when Jesus returns and we undergo, as it says, in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know what that's going to look like, but all of a sudden, I mean, it says the, the dead in Christ will be raised and they'll be changed, obviously. But even the people that are alive will put on immortality, will put on the imperishable. I don't know what that's going to look like, but wow, what a thought. Now, of course, you know, human nature to kind of be afraid of the unknown, right? We, like, we don't know how that's going to be. Just like, just like with death itself, there's, there really is, in much of my life, there's not a fear of what it's going to be. It's the fear of going through the transition, you know, from this life to that. That, I have sort of, I don't know how that's going to go down. Like, you know, I, I hope it's, uh, I kind of hope it's painless. But there is a thrill about the life that's to come. It's just there's that sort of, you know, doorway to go through to it. And when Christ comes back, though, for the generation that will be changed while they're alive, wow, I don't know what that's going to be like, but uh, it's, it's like that should not be a fearful thing to us. The more we believe Jesus is who the Bible says, the more that should be like, well, hey, sign me up. If I get to be in that generation, I, I look forward to whatever that's going to be like. That's going to be mind-blowing. And I think for all eternity, it's going to be like, Jonas, was that wild or what? That was, you know, one minute we're here doing whatever, and next minute it's like, whoa, an immortal body. That was a heck of a thing. Did you see what happened? Like, I mean, what a, what a mind-blowing thing. And God has those for us. God, we will all be changed. I don't think Paul was just reading that or uh, writing that with sort of a dispassionate, uh, you know, we won't all die. Many will die. Or he says sleep in the New American Standard. That's how it's translated. But if you read like the New Living, it actually means die. We won't all die in this life, but we will all be changed. We'll all undergo that. All who are going there are going to experience some kind of a radical, mind-blowing transformation from this life to the next, from this mortal body that's subject to death and corruption to a body that is fitted for life in the kingdom where Nope, no disease, no uh, decay, no, you know, sprained ankles or, you know, no, no, nothing. We, this body will be, uh, you know, made for the kingdom of God. Wow. I say, yes, Lord, we'll have it, please. I think it is likely that we could be that generation, but... 
Whether it is that way or not, and of course, I have less time than, you know, Eve or something. I, you know, for me, it, it needs to be in the next maybe, you know, 20 years or so. Um, you've got a lot more. But whether it's in my lifetime, your lifetime or not, our mindset ought to be shaped by Paul's urging, Paul's exhortation, where he says this, so that we're living fully uh, in a steadfast, unwavering anticipation of what's to come. I'm not, oh no, the end of the world, some bad stuff might go down. Well, probably there will be, but I want the end. I want what's coming, right? We want that. We, you know, you... When how many people here have ever had a surgery? Like you know, I haven't had yeah, I I haven't had many that are much of a you know much of a thing. But when they put a stent in my heart, they didn't even call it surgery; they called it a procedure because they said it's really pretty pedestrian for them. Except you know they go into uh, you know an artery in your thigh because it's big and then they go all the way in and put that thing into my heart from there now that, that's not as far for them to go you know in me as it would be for Brad you know but but you know they do that and the guy said to me you know I was a little anxious it's like but I was even most anxious about the fact that it was kind of immodest, you know, where they've got to address it. You know, they've got to go in here, you know, in my thigh, and I'm kind of embarrassed. But it's kind of, can you just punch me in the face, knock me out, and then you know, wake me up after? But they go in, and the guy says to me on the operating table, the doctor, how much do you drink? I, I said, how much do I drink? Why? Is there something, if I drink, that this is going to kill me or something? He said, oh, no, no. No, we just give you something. He said, we don't actually give you an anesthetic, but we give you this thing to sort of mellow you out and relax you. And I said, oh, well, I, I drink almost nothing. I, you know, periodically, I, you know, I go on a real bender, but no, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said almost nothing. And he goes, oh, okay. And so he gave me this thing and <laughs> I was out. I woke up at the end. But I was a little anxious about, you know, the, the end result I'm excited about because I had this angina where I'm walking with any speed. I could feel this pressure in my heart. And so, you know, they're going to deal with it. I'm excited about the end. But going through this little thing was a little bit, you know, it's a little unnerving. I mean, they're, they're going into my heart to deposit something there. It's a little bit unnerving. And some of you have had, you know, uh, more significant surgeries than that. You want the end result, but the road getting there could be a little unnerving. Well, God knows that for us because this is all we've known. But... The end is so far and away beyond anything that we could ask or imagine or that could enter into our hearts that I think Paul here is trying to exhort us so that we just say, you know what, the anticipation of this uh, so outweighs 
any of the... I mean, it happens every time a woman is pregnant. The Bible even says it. The pain of childbirth. But then when the child is born, it's like, it's sort of, that's past. That's not forgotten, but it's, it's behind. It's like, oh, this, this, this baby so outweighs all of what I was concerned about. That's, that's the life that God has promised us. It so outweighs. The beginning of this book, he says, it hasn't. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. It hasn't entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him. The life God has promised us in Christ. Now, to move on to this thought of victory, I have to confess that I've had an aversion to the Christian use of the word victory at times. Just like revival. Sometimes I see it thrown around and it's like, you know, I want real revival. I don't want a counterfeit of it. And sometimes it gets thrown out there. And victory... I find is sort of like that. It's not that I don't believe in Christ's victory, of course, or the fact that we will share his victory with him. We'll we'll live in the... We are the fruit of Christ's victory over sin and death, the people that follow him. That's for us. We'll share it with him and glorify him for his victory forever. But some of the talk of victory has seemed to me to be worldly and fleshly. And it's, there's a quality about it that it seems like it's appealing to my sort of fleshly and worldly appetites. Do you know what I mean? Like talking about victory in this and, you know, and, and there's an easy one. And I almost don't want to use it, but a, a victory in the area of finances. I believe God is a good father and he's generous and he's blessed Rose and I immeasurably. I feel very blessed. But there's also a thing of some of that stuff of God is going to meet all of your needs. Well, sometimes he really stretches us and leaves us without all of it met for a while because I think he's, there's a higher purpose and he's producing something else in us too. And sometimes the talk of victory, you know, just sort of smacks of worldliness. It's like that appeals more to my uh, worldly, fle- yeah, my flesh and my worldly, and I, I don't want that. There's enough things. I'm already addicted to self and already addicted to materialistic pursuits. It's so easy. You don't have to work to, to be worldly and fleshly. You have to work not to be. And um, so I feel like some of that kind of talk of victory, there was a book, and I remember the subtitle was This was a few years ago. God wants you to experience victory in every area of your life. Well, I wouldn't say that he wants us to experience defeat exactly. But, again, it was like it's appealing. It's almost, it was almost like a self-help kind of thing. You can be the guy. You know what I mean? And there's something about that. So I've had a bit of an aversion to the word victory. And I think of Paul. Paul went to Jerusalem later in his ministry to be arrested and imprisoned. He even knew it was coming. A prophet said, this is what's going to happen. And people are trying to beg him. And he said, 
This is amazing. Why are you breaking my heart to turn me away from giving myself fully to Christ? Why would you try to do that? Man, that is a guy who's got, uh, you know, the, the, the chains of worldliness have fallen off. Like, don't, don't try to dissuade me. I know that's coming, and I'm going there because it's part of God's plan. It, he, he was arrested. He was imprisoned. He stayed that way for pretty much the rest of his life. It didn't really look like victory, amen? didn't really look like victory in every area of his life. But there was something about how God used that to produce victory in so many, many more. I, I, I mean, God does that, and I delight in it. Um, you, there's a lady named Joni, I think. Uh, or did she pass away in the last few years? She's been... Uh, in a wheelchair for years. When she was a young girl, she was on a platform in a lake and she dove off, but the sand under there had, had actually, you know how sometimes the sand isn't level and it was up and she drove in and it jammed her. She was with her sister and she was paralyzed for the rest of her life from the neck down. And uh, her ministry... Um, she, she did so, a writer and all these kinds of things. I heard her say, and I, I won't do it justice exactly, but she said, when the time comes for me to go to be with the Lord, uh, if there's the chance to do it, she said, I'm going to look at this chair that I've been relegated to for most of my life. And she said, I'm not going to miss it one bit. And she said, but I will look at it and know that God developed so many other things in me that I'm not sure I would have ever been in the place to sort of have to depend on him had I been walking around. And I love that because I feel like that was just a very real thing that I'm not going to miss it. Of course, I'd like to walk, you know, like she's... but." she also recognizes God used it. He's done it with all of us, amen? He does it. He, he will do it for the rest of our lives. He'll do that kind of thing. May not look like victory, but what's God doing in it and through it? And um, Paul says in verse 54, when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will be the fulfillment of the scripture. Death is swallowed up in victory. There will be a moment where we'll put on an imperishable body and it'll be like we're out of reach. Death no longer is ever going to get there. It's never going to touch us. It's like, oh, we just went through a transformation that from this point on for eternity, death has been swallowed up in victory. What a picture. It's kind of like, there it is, strong and mighty and powerful death, and all of a sudden, gobbled up by something much greater and more powerful. And all of a sudden, death, he says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's like, you don't have it anymore. 
You're not going to get me anymore. You're not going to get us anymore. Here at the end of the chapter, Paul declares victory over death. and says that's the victory we inherit because of what Jesus did. He starts the chapter saying, this is what Jesus did. Died on the cross for our sins, according to the scriptures. Was buried and rose again from the uh, Uh, from the dead according to the scriptures that's what he did and here Paul says because of what he did there we get to inherit that victory this is the victory the big one not just oh you know we got our needs met or oh I I got raised up and I'm not in that wheelchair anymore I'm not speaking lightly of those things praise God for every glorious healing, every meeting of our needs. I want more, more, more of it. But this is the big one. This is death. All of a sudden, that's off the table. And we are in, we're in life, in a body that can't corrupt, that won't spoil forever. Death is the enemy. Um, uh, uh, death is the enemy that Jesus won the victory over. He stands victorious over it, and we are victorious with him. We stand with him forever. Paul gives, then he does this, then he gives thanks. He says, verse 57, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ. It's Jesus' victory, but then he says, thanks be to God. If we We, if we have tasted Christ's victory over death and his victory that opens to us life forever in his kingdom, if we've tasted that, then we're thankful. We will be thankful if we've actually tasted it and we remember it. Being thankful, that's why Paul says, hold it fast, don't let it go. And if we're holding it fast, we continually remember, hey, this is the very thing that saves us, that Jesus died for us, was buried, was raised from the dead. Being thankful is not just good manners. Being thankful shows that we understand what Jesus has done for us. We realize the enormity of his victory. And, th- and then thanksgiving actually testifies of his victory and to what he's done. Thanksgiving is, if we realize, we understand what Jesus has done for us, we as believers should be the most thankful people alive. If, if we realize, wait a minute, I am going to live forever. Not hype talk, not religious talk, not just, you know, oh, I cling to this because it's, it's my, my crutch to live with. No way. I, I believe this because I believe in Christ. I believe the evidence points to the reality of what he did, what he says, what he says will come to pass. And so we should be the most thankful people alive. Everywhere we are, people should know us as grateful, thankful people. Thankful because we understand what Jesus did for us and because we never lose sight of what we're saved from, sin and death. We're saved from sin and death, and we never lose sight of what we're saved for. Victorious life with Jesus forever. Somebody say amen. We're saved from sin and death, saved for eternal victorious life with Christ. 